Amen. What a great God we serve. Grab a Bible. Make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians, New Testament, chapter 3. Hopefully you got a Bible. You're heading over there now. If you don't have one, we've put them in the chairs right in front of you, a page number on the screen. We'd like you to be there, grab one of those, and open it up. Or open up an electronic device. If you want to follow along in a Bible app that you happen to like on your device, that works as well. But one way or another, we are encouraging you to have the Word of God open before you because that's what we're longing for you to see. We want you to hear and hear what God has to say to you this morning and what He would speak into your life. So we want you to have a Bible, opening it up. If you're in our overflow or you're joining online, it's just the same invitation. We really want God to speak to you through His Word, so we're inviting you to have the Bible and have it open before you this morning and that God would speak into your life and into our lives this morning. Well, we're going to take a moment and pray for that, but before we do that, I kind of wanted to preface our prayer with just a, a quick kind of thought for you to think through. Um, so we're approaching a couple verses this morning that are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, I'm aware of how uh, silly that might sound because some of you are like, Jim, you say that every week. I mean, that doesn't really, you can't say that like every week, you know, and, and there's an honesty to it. I mean, when you're in the Bible, it's like, man, I love this. I love what's there. That said, I mean, we are at a couple verses that are seriously some that just work in my life probably every week. Uh, probably every week, they're ones that I think through, pray through. Uh, if not, it's certainly the thought that's in that that's connected to some other verses that say the same thing, and it washes over me consistently. So I'm excited to share it with you, but I'm also nervous. Nervous because in one sense, here's what I've discovered in, in years of teaching the Bible. Sometimes I've discovered the things that mean the most to me, like where God has seriously met me. It's really hard to communicate. It's really hard to be like, okay, here, I want you to see all of this because there's such a depth and there's so much there. And then sometimes I just think it just doesn't communicate uh, well across. So I'm a little bit nervous this morning in that just that place of thinking, okay, Lord, would you work? Would you, would you take this? Because these verses help me. They speak life to me, but they bring clarity. It's almost as if at times, you know, life is out of focus kind of thing. If you wear glasses, you understand how this works at times. I mean, everything's distorted, everything's off and, and moving. And it's nice when you can put your glasses on. It's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> I get it. Thank you. Like, now I can see. Like, it just, you know, unclear just became clear. That which was out of focus just came in focus. I understand what's happening. These verses do that for me consistently, uh, that they become almost a lens with which helps me to understand the life that I'm living, the things that God's doing in me, and they just, but I'm always needing it. I'm always needing it spoken back into my life, and so I'm hoping that in this it would work even for one other person this morning in a similar way, but trusting God to do what He would do through this, even outside of things that He's done in me, but hoping He would work in you. So let's ask Him for that. Would you join me in prayer? Let's ask that God would take His Word and help us to understand it this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. It's alive. It's powerful. I knew that, and I'm excited over that. But Lord, also, I've just been honest, and, and you know, I, I love these verses. I, I'm so thankful for the so many times you speak them over my life, and through them bring help and clarity, and thank you for doing that. But Lord, I'm just finding myself feeling unable in so many ways to communicate all that that is, and so I'm asking you to go way beyond Lord, you know us. You know where we are. You know what we need. It might even be different than things that you've done in me, and so I trust you in that, that you would meet us uh, through the authority and power of your word. 
I'm asking, please, take your word and help us to get it. Help us to understand it. Help us to, to, to find it life-giving to us. God, would you do what you only can do in every heart here, helping us understand that which you would have for us. I ask for that now as we just thank you for you and your good work in this as we trust you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sometimes there are words that just don't seem to go together, right? Oxymorons, things that you say, you know, something, but it feels like it's kind of the opposite of it. You know, I think about it. We're doing a study in uh, 2 Corinthians, and we've called this study Power and Weakness. Said that, okay, everything that we're talking about in this book really has a theme that is that, but that's an oxymoron, right? Power, weakness? I mean, it's kind of like saying thin fatness. You know, heavy lightness. I mean, it's like, well, you can't have both. You know, it's like, okay, it's one or the other. You know, you're not both of them. You know, you kind of, you know, how does that work? But here he invites us to a place of saying, no, they sometimes these things that seem like they're so opposite, like they seem like they're, they, they don't go together like power and weakness, they actually go together. And much that's found in the book of 2 Corinthians communicates this theme, and certainly it does this morning. As we come to a section that's going to talk about what I've titled this morning's message, insufficient sufficiency. Insufficient sufficiency? Like, how does that even work? How can you be both insufficient and sufficient at the exact same moment? Well, that's exactly what he wants to talk to us about. So let's notice it. Let's read the verses we're going to cover this morning. You got your Bibles open there to chapter 3. Notice in verse 4. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything is being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Wow. Pause there. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, this place where insufficient and sufficient come together. To get there, though, he gives us a verse that kind of bridges the way there and tells us what this really is, is he says, hey, we have a trust. We have a trust through Christ to God. That's exactly what he said, but make sure you see it in the verse, verse 4, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. This really helps really bridge a thought that had started for us in the last section. If you were with us last week, we talked about a genuine Christianity. We've talked about that which isn't a human uh, kind of work. It isn't something done in the flesh. It's something that's only done by Christ, that he brings us into a new covenant relationship, something we started talking about last week. We'll continue talking about through the rest of the chapter, but it's enough for us just to know that it's real. It's this relationship that's in Christ. It's a real relationship with God that is now made effective and only becomes effective in Christ. In fact, it's right there where we need to just quickly say this. Hey, we're going to talk about some things this morning, this place of being insufficient and finding sufficiency, but I need to say right now, this only works for followers of Jesus. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to make fun of you. If you're here this morning, you don't yet know Jesus. We love you. We are so glad you're here, but we want to just be honest with you. This isn't one of those principles that work anywhere else in life. Now, sometimes there are scriptural truths that do that. There are truths that are just universally true because God wove them into creation. 
things that would be principles of kindness, or maybe we think about many of the Proverbs, and you could sit there and say, hey, even the world would understand some of these things, and if you, you know, tried to restrain your words or something, there's some benefit to that uh, in practical ways, but this is not one of those things. Like, this would never work for you if you tried to dive into this outside of a relationship with Jesus. And, and I say that as honesty, but also invitation. If you're here this morning and this discovers and you discover that, hey, you don't have this, we're inviting you into a relationship with God through Christ. We're telling you what Christ can be and what he would bring you into. And we hope that if that's you this morning, you would be so invited into that real relationship because that's what he does. He brings us into this. Now, with that, understand this, what he's talking about is a trust. Trust is confidence, it's reliance. So he says, we have a trust through Christ toward God. Trust, biblically, is this place of trusting that which is outside of us. It is a place where it's not us we're trusting in, but we're putting our trust in him. In fact, those things so go together. I think about maybe the very well-known proverb in Proverbs 3, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Hey, those are great principles, but I just want to quickly hold out to you. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. God is inviting us into a place where we would trust him. I mean, implicitly, entirely trust him with everything we are at the same moment. Not trusting ourselves, not trusting our understanding, not trusting who we are. And you really have to have both of these to get what God's inviting you. And I say that again because some of us, again, you know who you are, uh, we, we really are those that are like, actually, could I, do, could I have trusting in God and understanding? <laughs> could I like trust, my, trust God but also have full comprehension and, you know, kind of be my own manager and understand my own life and, you know, know exactly, no, you cannot, that's, that's not where God's inviting us to. He's inviting us into a place where it is this implicit trust that we have and are having in him. But let me also say this. As much as I'm telling you that's what's available for us in Christ, I want to just simply say it's that which we have. In fact, that's exactly how he says it. So just catch the wording as clearly as you can there in verse 4. It says, and we have such a trust through Christ toward God. We have, we have. This isn't something you need to get. This isn't something you need to go out and work for. This isn't something that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this. It's not one of those places that we're going to hold something out and say, hey, you should, this is worth your working for. This is worth your trying to get. He's telling you, no, you actually have it. It's kind of like one of those places, maybe as a married couple, you'd sit, be there and one of your, the spouses is you know, looking through the ad paper like, hey, we need one of those. And then your spouse looks over at you and says, we already have it. Like, we already own it. It's like in the crotch, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Don't go buy money, don't spend money for what we already own, you know, kind of deal. Like, we have that. Again, that's probably got other weights into it, so I won't even go further there, but it's enough for us just to say, no, this isn't something that you have to go and get. You already have it. You already have it. It's in Christ. It's part of our relationship with Him. It's part of our possession that we have in him, but it's that which we're needing to go more into and rely more on because it's a place where you and I are being invited to trust God through Christ. We're going to be invited to have such an incredible trust in God that's ours because of and only in and found through Christ. So what does that look like? Well, let's go back and see it. So he says there in verse 4, we have such a trust through Christ toward God. Verse 5, not 
that we are sufficient of ourselves, to think of anything as being from ourselves. We are insufficient, he says, of ourselves. We are that. In fact, I just want to read it again. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Insufficient. We're insufficient, he says. Insufficient, insufficient has the idea of inadequate, lacking, not enough, incompetent, deficient, that being which is unqualified. All of that kind of speaks into that. He says, hey, this is who we are. This is what we are. We are insufficient. We are not enough. We are incompetent. There's that which is lacking in us. And right now you're like, hey, that's great news, Jim. Thanks. Let's go home now. No, it's just, but I've just, I mean, I just want to tell you, hey, there's something here that you're kind of buying into that you're beginning to say, okay, what is this? Well, it's absolutely there. In fact, let me put it to you this way. We think about where we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you came to this. Somehow you have come to the conclusion that you're not enough. Somehow you came to the recognition and realization that you could not save yourself and you needed Jesus. You needed him to be what you were inadequate to do. That, that, that would be there. There's not anybody here who's a follower of Jesus that this didn't happen to you in some way where you recognized that you needed something outside of you, that only Christ could save you, and you trusted in him. Now, again, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I just want you to think about that for a moment. I just want you to think about it. So how did that happen for you? How did you come to that realization that you needed Jesus? What was it that originally kind of brought this truth to bear in your life? Now, here's the beautiful thing. It's different. It's different around the room. It's different around the way that we are. For some of you, life fell apart. I mean, the bottom dropped out, and you hit rock bottom. And there at that space of rock bottom, you found yourself with nowhere else to look but, but up, and, and you found yourself looking to God. For some of you, it wasn't just that life kind of bottomed out. You messed it up. It was your sin that did it. Like the prodigal son, you found yourself kind of gaining what you had done with your own merit, and there in the pigsty of your own choices, you kind of found yourself saying, I need to look up. I need, I need, I need to look to Christ. And in that good and incredible space, you found a Savior who would save someone just like you. Now, for some of you, it was actually the other end of the spectrum. I mean, honestly, there's someone here this morning that it wasn't that life bottomed out. It was exactly the opposite. You gained everything. Yeah, you, you, were, you were financially successful. You were successful in your career. You gained everything you thought you ever wanted. And like Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, you got there and you found out there's nothing here. It's chasing a rainbow. I've, I've spent my life pursuing something, and when I thought I got to the end of the rainbow, I found out there's no pot of gold. Like, it's absolutely empty. There's no hope. There's no life there. And there in that empty space, you discovered your need for Jesus. For some of you, it wasn't, you know, the high or the low. It was simply the truth of God meeting you in your life. Maybe very logically, very clearly, you came to recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, but somehow it happened, and it happened wonderfully. Now, that's just good, because here's what I know. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is real for you. I don't know how you came to that conclusion. I don't know where it was, but I just want to remind you of it, and I want you to think about it for a moment. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, then I'm just telling you, this is where he's bringing you. 
And that might be surprising to you. Because sometimes people come to church and they think they're coming to church to earn God's favor. That they're coming to church to say, okay, I'll really try harder. Like, what do I need to do to get God to like me? And how much more do I need to do? And instead, you're coming here to discover you can't fix yourself. There's brokenness inside of you. I think about Jesus who spoke it in the Beatitudes when he simply said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That really announcing his gospel message that he's coming, he says, here's the thing. It is glorious when you discover, I am poor. The word poor there has the idea of, of absolutely nothing. I, my spiritually, I have nothing to bring. I, I have nothing to give. I, I, I've come to the conclusion that there's just brokenness in me. And Jesus says, that's those who are going to get into heaven. Those who come to the end of themselves discovering their need of Christ. And if that's you this morning, again, we're just inviting you into that good space. We're telling you, hey, that's a good place to come. That's not a bad space to be discovering your need for Jesus. It is there. May God draw you. But for you who know Jesus, you came to this conclusion, like you knew this, and yet one of the interesting things about the life in Christ is that continual usefulness, continual growth, it's actually a continuation of this lesson. And this is maybe what's a little bit surprising. That in one sense, for some of us, we thought, hey, that's what I came to when I got saved. But here's the interesting thing. All Christian growth, real Christian growth, finds its foundation here. And so one of the things that continues to happen is that God continues to expose our inadequacy. He continues to show us, you are not enough. Like, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not able to do this. You're, you're, you're un, un, unable to do this. And it's kind of a funny thing. For some of us, we got saved and we believed that when we got saved. We recognized we couldn't save ourselves. But then after that, we tried to earn God's favor. Kind of, you know, build some kind of structure on top of our brokenness and God has to tear that back down. That's, that's, he does that and he's good about doing that. But understand this, it doesn't just stop there. For some of us, you know, we came to that place of recognizing we weren't enough and we kind of thought that was the end of the story. Like, I'm not enough. I need Jesus. Okay, where do we go now? And then God's like, so you think you're not enough, huh? Can I show you how much not enough you are? And then he begins to peel back layers of your heart, kind of like an artichoke, you know, kind of thing. And then you're like, wow, <laughs> okay, so I'm really not enough. That's really good. That's, well, that's as low as it's going to go, right? And God's like, um, actually, would you like to go a little lower? Like, let me just show you that, boy, you are so broken. Like, there's just no good thing in you. And it's like, wow, some of us just didn't understand that that's a good thing that part of what God was doing us was to expose our brokenness, our inadequacy, and, and our weight. But it's needed because it's the only way he can grow us. It's the only way he can do good things in us. Jesus would say it this way. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he said. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can't do anything. Wow. Those are incredible words. But they're hard words. They're hard words that part of what it does for God to bring us to fruitfulness, to bring us to a place where he can do good in us, is he has to fully convince us that you're destitute that there's no good in you, that there's no way for him to do that, that, that there's this in you without him 
there is nothing good that can take place. There's nothing that's there that he continues to seek to do that in our lives, continues to seek to bring us into this space where, hey, we recognize, hey, that's true of us. That's a good space. And again, for many of you, I'm just speaking this, and maybe you fully understand this. You're like, Jim, I got it. Let's like, I figured that out. But I'm just know I'm speaking to some that you're still surprised by this. I mean, but in some ways, you're still trying to figure out how to grow in Christ. And sometimes it's surprising to you that the moment that you're trying to take a step forward, the moment you're trying to be a better person, the moment you're trying to read your Bible and try to do more, that God allows things to happen, that actually instead of, you know, speaking, you know, hey, you're such a good person, it's like, man, I'm such a bad person. Like, look at my brokenness. I mean, everything, I mean, there, there's this space that kind of does to show me that in myself and out of myself, I'm completely adequate and inadequate in the, in the midst of that. Now, part of the problem is that for some of us, instead of admitting that, we tend to want to pretend to be sufficient. Now, I know this is not you guys, this was first service, uh, so you guys just can listen to this, but some of them may be listening, and so I just wanted to repeat it for them, Um, but there are some that sometimes in their Christian life, instead of admitting what God says is true about us, we pretend to be better than we are. Um, Sometimes we pretend to other people, which is just hypocrisy, but many times we lie to ourselves as well. And so it's one of these spaces that sometimes those who would talk about this from a very psychological way, and I'm not even going there, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not trying to say that, it, you know, speaking, you know, any of those things, but there is some honest place that sometimes what they would notice is that when somebody's really struggling, it's this place where what they kind of think they are and what they really feel like they are, that if there's a big just difference there, it becomes mentally unhealthy. And becomes mentally unhealthy. The, the larger the gap from your, what you kind of are pretending to be and what you really think you are, the less emotionally healthy you become. And so, you know, many times for psych- psychology, they try to raise that bottom level and say, oh, you're better than you really think you are. And then maybe lower your expectations to, at the same moment to kind of bring these two things together. But one of the crazy things is that's not the, the goal that God is doing. He's trying to say, actually, you're way down here. <laughs> and your goal is to begin to, to try to bring your understanding of yourself to what he has always said is true about you, which is without him, you can do nothing, that you are completely inadequate. Paul would say it this way in the book of Philippians. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. So just process this. It may be helpful for one person, so just, just want you to think about it. So this is Paul's personal testimony. Philippians 3, he gives more of it. Not going to go into it. You can read more of it later if you're interested. But he says, okay, so if you think you can have some good standing before God, I had a better standing than you did. I mean, I was a Jew. I was born a Jew. I, I, I was in the law. I was zealous. I was passionate. I, I had everything that people said would be a good thing to make somebody good. He says, I was better than you. I, I had more than you had. But he goes on to say, well, things were gained to me. I've now counted loss for Christ. I've looked on everything that I used to think was on my plus column, things that I used to say, hey, these are things that earn my favor and and make me a good person. He says, "I, I looked on all of that and said, they don't mean anything anymore. I don't have any trust in them. In fact, he goes on to say, yet I indeed count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, which is both salvation and knowing him. We sang about that this morning. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. He says, here's what happened. I came to Christ. I came to a place of understanding that, boy, I couldn't earn anything. 
There wasn't anything in there, and everything that I thought was good to me, I actually came to discover it wasn't. And now when I see those things, I rightly, maybe biblically, would now understand them as rubbish because now it's only Jesus. It's only Christ that is my hope. Now, that's a great kind of description, um, but it's not quite as messy as it ought to almost feel. So the word that's used here for rubbish in the Greek language, I mean, we, we, we hear rubbish and we're like, oh, that's just trash, you know, and that, it is trash. But it has the idea of disgusting trash. It might have the idea of menstrual cloths. Honestly, it's kind of the, the word that's used there, but let's even change it just a little bit so it feels fully applicable to everybody. We would say it this way, that the idea of rubbish would be used toilet paper. Okay, that's gross, right? I mean, is, can, you, can, you, can, can anybody just like own with me for a moment that if like I had like, you know, a pile of used toilet paper, it's like, hey, would you like to take this? You would be like, never. Like, you know, that's not, I don't, I don't touch that. Like that's, you know, I mean, it, that is completely tainted. I mean, everything about that is, is tainted by, uck, you know, gross, don't do that. And, and God says, that's you. Every piece of your good work is tainted by your flesh. Your flesh has so messed up everything about you that there's not anything you can do outside of Christ that isn't tainted by your selfishness, your pride, your, 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 your personal kind of things. It has messed up everything you are. So the ultimate in Christ, we come and say, hey, anything that I thought was good about me, I now recognize it actually isn't. I don't have any, I have no confidence in me. I have no confidence in my flesh. All my confidence is Christ. All my confidence is him because he is my absolute everything. Paul came to this conclusion, and so he says, hey, this was mine. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on this, simply said it this way. Brethren, if Paul is not sufficient in himself, what are you and I? I mean, he's just reasoning with, he says, okay, if Paul, this Paul who says, hey, I'm better than you, if he comes to the conclusion he is insufficient, what right do you have to feel sufficient? Where are you? Do you indulge the dream of self-sufficiency? Be ashamed of your folly in the presence of a great man who knew what he said, and who spoke under the direction of the Spirit of God, and who wrote deliberately, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, like we have nothing to give. Paul's, Paul's not writing this from somebody who had no you know, merit as far as people would say in the human realm, but Paul says, I have none of that trust. I have none of that trust. In fact, take it a little bit deeper. So Paul is saying, hey, we're insufficient of ourselves. We, we, we are saying, hey, we're inadequate, we're not enough, but he makes it so broad. He says it's an entire insufficiency. Did you catch it? Verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Anything? Anything. Hey, nothing. Like, we have nothing. We have, we have nothing that could come from me in myself, out of myself, nothing can come. Paul would say it in Philippians 3, that we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence. We have no confidence in the flesh. Like, we don't look and say, hey, you know, it's 90% God, 10% me. We're like, no, it's all God. Like, because I've, I've come to a place of recognizing that, that I am entirely insufficient. Not just a little bit, Entirely. If that wasn't clear enough, notice also the word that he says as he processes that. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think. Just notice that word think there for a moment. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. 
Think is an interesting word. It has the idea of recognizing that which is true. For some of you really good Bible students, or maybe you've been in this a while, you might recognize the word for you I just pointed out. It is the Greek word legizomai. If you don't know what that is, you don't need to, but let me just quickly explain. It's an interesting word that means to recognize something or to account something. It's actually a word that comes out of the accounting world uh, that would say, okay, I'm going to recognize something that is true. And, And the goal is to recognize that truth and apply it into your life. Maybe, if this is helpful, think about it this way. Every time it's used, it is always the idea of recognizing what is true and applying that into your life. It's never coming to a false conclusion. It's never recognizing something and then being inaccurate in what you recognize. It's always bringing yourself to that level. Try it this way. Let's say you have $10 in your checking account. If you legitimize that, then you honestly know. I got 10 bucks in my checking account. Like, that's all I got, but I do have 10. And and, and so it would be a right accounting of what you have, and then you would live like, okay, here's how I'm going to respond to having 10 bucks in my checking account. It would never be uh, an incorrect guess. You never would be the idea that you legitimized, that you thought you had $100, but you only had 10. It's a different Greek word. It's a different Greek word that speaks of kind of messing up or, you know, coming to a wrong conclusion. This conclusion is like, hey, this is true, and so it's always bringing truth into your life. So here's the deal. When we're saying all of this, Paul is coming to the place that we're saying, this isn't just words. This isn't just fluff. It's actually really true. I mean, you know, when he says, there's nothing good in my flesh, Um, we are inadequate in ourselves to think that anything from ourselves, he's not underestimating uh, what's actually there. It's an accurate assessment uh, of what's there. Now, this is really, really helpful because it'll help hold itself against some of the things that we find offensive in this. So maybe you're already tracking with me. Sometimes we hear what I'm saying and we think that it is kind of a false humility. You know what I mean by that? So you hear somebody and they would say, I'm nothing. You know, there's really nothing, not anything good about me. But in the back of their mind, you know that's not what they think. They're kind of waiting for you to tell them, oh, you are something. Oh, okay. You know, like, I, I mean, maybe, I mean, it's like somehow maybe I'm going to tell you that I'm nothing, but I, I really don't think I'm nothing. I really don't think I'm nothing. I really think I'm something. And honestly, sometimes that's where we are. In our Christian life, you could own what I'm telling you. It's like, oh, Jim, I believe that. I believe that you know, we need Jesus for everything. But the funny thing is some of us actually, we kind of not totally there. We're kind of like, well, I, you know, kind of think, but you know, for, for some of us, again, you, you know, we're in that place of thinking, well, you know, I'm mostly bad, not all bad. I mean, you know, I, you know, there's still some good inside me. I mean, yeah, there's some, you know, inadequacy, but you know, I'm not entirely inadequate. And then God's like, oh, really? I'll keep showing you. I'm going to keep, my, my lesson in your life is to bring you to that place that you will finally legitimize this, that you'll say, okay, I'm really spiritually broke. I really have nothing to give. Uh, in my flesh, that is in me, there is absolutely nothing good. Like, I cannot do good on my own because my flesh messes up everything I do. That, that if I can come to this conclusion that that is what I am, that's an accurate understanding. 
So good news, I mean, really, honestly, it really is good news, but I'm just going to pause and just say, I know for some of you, like, man, this just doesn't sound like good news, Jim. I mean, like, I didn't need help with this. I was already feeling bad about myself, and then you came and tell me that I should feel worse about myself than I already felt. Uh, Like, how is that helpful to me? Well, it's really helpful because it's true, but where it goes. Go back to it and see it in the verse. Verse 5 He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as as being from ourselves, but, there's glorious buts in the scripture, but God's, but our sufficiency is from God. Wow. Our sufficiency is from God. Like the, the insufficient that we're there, it's us, not him. I was thinking about this a little bit, and as I was kind of trying to process my mind around this, I goofily was looking at different images, and I found a cartoon that kind of has these two guys standing in front of an ATM, and they're there, and it says, when it says insufficient funds, does it mean me or them? You know, like who's, I mean, that's just, is that too close to home, you know, with the whole banking crisis kind of deal? Um, Hey, that said, in Christ, it's always us. It's never him. It's never that God is insufficient, we're insufficient, but he is fully sufficient. So sufficient, it's the opposite, right? It means enough, more than enough, adequate, competent, able, qualified. So we're insufficient, but in him we are sufficient. In him we have more than enough. In him we have more than we could ever imagine. In him there is everything. Now, just to be clear about this so it doesn't go wrong in anybody's mind, let's read it quickly in its context. There, in verses 5 and 6, it says, not that we're sufficient of ourselves is to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul is saying, hey, we're sufficient as ministers, as servants uh, of God in everything that he has for us, and there's going to be a lot that we're going to talk about. We'll talk about that next week and kind of tying it together, but it's enough for me just to say this. When we talk about God being enough, uh, you know, that we're sufficient in God, we're sufficient for everything he has for us to do and everything he has for us to be. This isn't the kind of thing that, like, I can be sufficient to anything. Like, you know, know, I can be sufficient to be president of the United States. Well, I mean, if that's what God has for you, yes. If it's not, no. That's not how this works. God's sufficiency is for everything he has for you. But it is for everything he has for you. It is this place where he's going to draw us to a space where we would recognize our complete inadequacy at the same mind taking just a full hold of his adequacy. Now, maybe that's just clear enough said, but maybe, again, just giving the contrast, giving some other ways to see this would help us to understand what we're thinking through. So, see, part of the problem is that for some, they come to the conclusion that they're inadequate, but that sense of inadequacy becomes an excuse for doing nothing. I don't know if you know anybody like this. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's that kind of space where God begins to kind of tear up somebody's heart, kind of show them that they're nothing. And so their conclusion to this is, I am nothing. Like, I should never do anything. Like, I shouldn't share the gospel with anybody. I shouldn't, like, I probably even shouldn't go to church. I, I'm, I'm such a mess. I'm so broken. And, and it becomes an excuse uh, to not do what God has. That's never what this would be. That would always be a false conclusion. I think about Saul in the Old Testament who was called to be king and David, they, they, you know, somebody has to find him hiding in the luggage, you know, kind of deal. That space where it's like, hey, God's made this clear. 
And, and now, you know, you hiding from it, that's not a good thing. I think about Jesus who told the parables of the, the servants. And he talks about the, the one servant, many of you guys might know, and who does nothing with what, what the master gave him. You know, and in many ways, like, hey, I didn't want to mess it up. You know, I, I, I didn't ruin it, you know, kind of deal, as if somehow that was a good thing. It's a bad thing. So this is not an excuse to do nothing. If you hear me this morning and you only land on one side of the equation, then you've missed the beautiful equation because, yes, we are inadequate in ourselves, but that's meant to draw us to Him. Well, see, for some of us, we, for some people, they can say, okay, well, I'm going to do nothing because I'm inadequate. Others will spend all their time still trying to do it in their own strength. Weird things that happen. I mean, some of you are doing it. Some of you have done this in your past, that this place where God is drawing you to your sense of inadequacy, and you thought your response to that was to fix it. You know, kind of, they all, it's like, you know, that, you know, you're being proved that you're inadequate, and so you spend all your time trying to do it on your own. Paul would talk about the Galatians this way. He said, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Like, you came, you started this whole thing in Christ, and you recognized, I can't save myself, I need Jesus. And now you think living out the Christian life is up to you? Think about it this way. Maybe it's helpful to kind of process it. If it's helpful for anybody else, it's just these goofy little pictures that work in my head. It's almost like this rip current, you know, kind of like this undercurrent that's kind of just pulling us down, that's telling us, hey, God's going to show you your nothing and show you your inadequacy. And for some of us, our response to that is to swim harder, like, okay, I'll try harder. You know, I'm going to work a little bit harder. You know, you know, the more God shows me I'm inadequate, the harder I'm going to try, as if somehow that was what God was asking us. Like somehow he was saying, yep, that's the Christian life. Work harder. Try harder. Like harder, 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 as if that's how what God wants. Instead, he's saying, no, I, I want you to admit, you're broken. You can do nothing. Like, you cannot fix this. You cannot do this. And so you're allowing that to, to kind of unend you, but then you're allowing that to kind of move you over into his strength. That instead of depending on yourself, you're looking to Christ. Instead of looking to your own ability to, to live or do, it's entirely now dependent on looking to Christ being everything so that the key now becomes this attempt of learning, okay, leaning into God, abiding in Him. I just want you to help you see that this is exactly what God's trying to do in you. So here's again this, this, this space. What I want you to think about just for a moment is, is this space of, of, of coming to an end of yourself, recognizing your adequacy, and yet recognizing God's adequacy, it's what God is seeking to do in your life. And, and some have, have kind of rightly kind of pointed out, it's almost as if these are on a pulley system. You know, the, the more you justify yourself, the more that you are, are trying to do this on your own, the, the less you're actually trusting in Christ, the, the less you're doing in Him. But the more you recognize, God, I'm nothing, the more you would say, okay, God, I need you to be everything. You know, and, and one of the interesting things about the Christian life is that we kind of think, hey, you know, you're going to kind of get there, and then we're going to kind of move forward. And God's like, no, I'm going to continue taking you deeper. Like, you think you know you're nothing, I'm going to show you you're nothing more. So I can do everything through you, so that you'll now live a life no longer you who live it, but Christ who lives in you. No longer that which is doing it in your own strength, but that which is lived in Christ. And he's calling you to that. Think about verses that just kind of say this. We think about where we are. Uh, here in 2 Corinthians and 
So we've kind of talked about our series it being power and weakness, and probably one of the key verses is found in chapter 12, which we'll get to, but we've highlighted it already, where Paul comes to a really strong kind of change in his own life, a place where this took on a whole new level of understanding for him, and it came through his own difficult trials. He talks about a thorn in the flesh that he's asking God to get rid of, and God answers him. Jesus answers them and said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Incredibly profound. And yet, here's our struggle. My struggle. Maybe not your struggle, my struggle. I still have a hard time believing him sometimes. I still have a hard time believing him because here's what I think. I tend to think it would be great if God was strong and I'm strong. I like that. I, li- I like that idea. And God's like, uh-uh. You want perfect. Now, what's a perfect score? You can't get better, right? You get, if, you get, if you take a test, some of you have taken tests, you had your finals, or people had these finals in the last day. If you got a perfect score on your final, you can't get better than that, right? Perfect is God being strong and us being weak. That's where perfection is found, where we finally come to the conclusion, God, I, I can't do anything without you. Like, I'm a mess without you, and I desperately need you 24-7. Like, that's, that's where strength is found. But the problem is, again, we, we struggle against that, and Paul would go on, and so he's thinking this through. Jesus is telling him, hey, this is, this is the best thing for you. It, when you're weak and I'm strong, that's as good as it gets. And so Paul processes this through, and he says, therefore, I'm going to be most glad. I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Like, I want God's power in my life. So whatever kind of helps me get there, I'm going I'm to joy in my infirmities. In fact, he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I recognize I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's probably the important understanding in that. We'll talk about that when we eventually get there in 2 Corinthians 12, God willing, if we get there, but let me just quickly highlight it. These things that Paul talks about, these things don't make him weak. They expose his weakness. What do you mean, John? Well, let's take the first one. It says, I take a pleasure in infirmities, sicknesses. Now, that's kind of a crazy thought. He says, when I get sick, I'm going to take pleasure in that because it's going to highlight my need for Christ. But here's the thing. Most of us don't do that, and maybe we don't believe that. Because, see, here's the deal. When we get sick, sometimes we have the understanding that sickness makes us weak. And some of you feel that right now. Some of you have been sick over the last few weeks, and you're like, man, when I'm sick, it just, it just robs me of all my strength. That's true, and it's not true. Actually, you were weak before that, and sickness just exposed how weak you were. It took a germ, like this tiny little germ to take you down. You were already weak. You were already vulnerable. You just, did, you just thought you were strong. And it's like, that little thing, that little thing knocked me on my back for days. It's like, man, I was weak. I didn't know how weak I was. These things don't make me weak. They show me how weak I actually am. So Paul says, when something happens, 
And it shows me how weak I am. I'm going to get excited about that because I'm going to know I need Jesus more. I was weak anyway. These things don't make me weak. I was weak. So if it's infirmity, if it's reproach, people are being mean to me. If it's need, uh, you know, in my life, financial or weakness, if it's persecutions, if it's just stress that is, you know, stressing me out, like everything's pushing my buttons and it's, you know, sending me off, you know, you know, off the deep end. It's like, man, that's all it took to mess me up. I was so weak. I was weak without being put, my buttons being pushed. But man, they, when they pushed those buttons, now I discovered. Look how weak I am. I am so weak. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, so I joy in that because when I get that, I know to kind of let go of my strength and take hold of his. Let go of, of, of trusting in myself because I'm going to allow everything to compel me to say, Jesus, I need you always. Paul would say it in Philippians 3, where he'd say, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because, see, that's the other side of this equation. It, it isn't as despairing. It isn't as like, oh, I am so inadequate. I can't do anything. It's like, I, I can't. He can. <laughs> like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let go of my own trust, and I'm going to trust in Christ to do everything and, and, and walk in him so that he would be everything for me. Paul will go on in 2 Corinthians to say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Like we have these physical failing bodies so that people can say, it's all God. It's all God. It is all Jesus. Like that is what we're needing. And so Jesus is inviting us to that, right? We already read this, but read it again. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. What a very different picture. Jesus is saying, hey, here's the thing. We just need to come to this understanding that you try to do it on your own, zero. You do it without me. You do it in your strength. You actually can do nothing. Everything you are is tainted by your sin and selfishness. So outside of Christ, that will come out to a big fat zero. But with Christ, in him, Christ in you with the hope of glory, Christ, you know, working and, and being the life inside of you, you can bear much fruit, but the key is Christ. The key is, is depending on him, leaning on him, finding him to be that which would work. And that's the life that God is seeking to teach us to live. That's the life that he's telling us is possible. That's the life that is held out for you and me. And again, maybe that's making sense. Maybe you're understanding this. Maybe it's just going to speak into your life, but it's helpful to see this. I think about it. Let me give you a couple quotes. Spurgeon, again, in his commentary on this section, said it this way. says, our sufficiency is of God. Let us practically enjoy this truth. We are poor, leaking vessels, and the only way for us to keep full is to put our pitcher under the perpetual flow of his boundless grace, then despite its leakage, the cup will always be full to the brim. Hey, I like it. It's just a good picture. It's like, we're so broken, you know, that it's like water flows through and it flows right out. The only way for us to stay full is to stay constantly under the flow. It's like, I need Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, fill me up again because I leaked again. Like, I keep leaking. I'm always leaking. It's just, and yet, what a beautiful picture of, the, of, of fullness. Like, hey, I can be adequate. But it's not because I've become adequate. It's because his supply is so abundant. 
Hudson Taylor said it this way. says, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Such an incredibly good quote, and had we time, we would talk about it both historically and biblically, and I would bring you to the place of understanding whenever God wants to use someone mightily, he brings them to an end of themselves. Whether it's Gideon who, you know, gets there and says, God, why would you use me? I'm the smallest man of the smallest tribe, of the smallest space. Whether it's Moses who at the burning bush is like, God, no, like you, I, I can't, I can't do this. Or Jeremiah or Isaiah or, or Paul himself. He brings us to this place where we'd say, it's not me. I am not enough. I am inadequate. And he says, that's a good space for you to be. Hudson Taylor goes on to simply say it this way, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. And that's a good piece of advice. Hey, if you can discover, I am so weak, I need Jesus all the time. I am so weak that to try to do anything without him, I'm going to mess it up. And, and, and Jesus is like, that's actually true. Is like a really good, and, and part of the learning curve of the Christian life is figuring that out, of figuring out, hey, that's actually true. Like that's a part of our lives. That's part of what he's doing in us so that we would say, okay, here's this space that we're trusting God through Christ, that we in Christ have this place that we find ourselves insufficient, but Jesus sufficient. So I'm just kind of asking again as, we, as, we, as we're processing this through, I'm wondering where this is in your life. And, and again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you figure this out. And, and you're like, Jim, like, like that's, that, that's, that's like, I, I figured that out years ago and I lived that out. Good. I'm so glad you're there. Or maybe you're like me that I feel like I learned this and have to learn it again and have to learn it again, and have to learn it again, and have to learn it again. It, it's just this constant space where, you know, th- there's this place where he, you know, allows me to feel my inadequacy, to feel my smallness, and yet then call me to trust in him. See, I don't know where this is for you, but I'm just telling you, this is a constant part of my life. I get to come up here and teach like I'm doing right now, and I don't know how it comes across, but I just wanted to tell you, I feel inadequate. In fact, it's not a feeling. I actually really am. I am entirely inadequate and insufficient, and I know that. And so it can move me into this place of like, God, I don't, how, how are we going to do this? How is that ever going to happen? And I know the only way it will happen is if Christ does it. And yet that place, at times it can swirl around in my mind, and this verse is one that God will just, it's like putting glasses on for me. It's like, Jim, would you look again at what, what this looks like again? I mean, you're, you're getting all confused. It's like everything's kind of blurry. It's like, ah, it's like, okay, yep, yep, I'm inadequate, Christ is adequate. Okay, good. Got that. And then like five minutes later, ah, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm constantly needing, you know, put on the lenses and say, do you see what God is doing in you? Do you see that he's calling you to have no trust in yourself? So you have all your trust in Christ. And it's like, yes, I see it. And yet I'm trying to see it. And that's a beautiful space. And if you're on that journey with me, I'm just inviting you to see it. I'm just inviting you to recognize you're not alone. In case you just thought you were, in case you kind of thought you were God's remedial child, and it's like, man, there are other people, they're like, they're more adequate than I am, but I'm just, I'm so inadequate. And then you find out, wait, really? We're all inadequate? Yep, absolutely true. And so that's good news for you. But maybe you're here this morning and you're fighting it. I mean, God is trying to do this inside of you, but instead of agreeing with it, you're doing everything you can to fight against it. God's trying to show you, you are so broken. And without me, you can do nothing. And your response to that is to try to justify yourself. No, no, actually, I'm a pretty good guy. 
you know, give me a chance, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying really hard, I, I'm better than other people, you know, kind of put myself on, the, and you're spending all your time fighting a battle that you cannot win, and it's not going well for you, and somehow you thought that's what you were supposed to do, thought what's what church was about, was coming here to pretend to be better than you are, instead of coming here and saying, I am desperately in need of Jesus, I need him in the beginning, and I need him in the middle, and I need him in the end, I need him for, for my salvation. I need him for my life. I can't be a good man. I can't be a good father, a good mother. For mom's here for Mother's Day. I can't be, I can't do what, I mean, if I do it in my flesh, it's tainted. And it won't be eternal. But if God would do it in me, I need that. And the beautiful life that God is calling us to is Jesus is telling us, I just want you to abide in me. And, and, and it, 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 he would work that in us. Paul would say, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He labored, but he says, it's not my labor. You know, I'm laboring hard, but the only labor that's merit is the labor that Christ is doing in me, that Christ is working in me. That's the stuff that's eternal. And, and, and then to recognize that and say, that's what I'm seeking to do. That's the life that I'm seeking to do. It's a beautiful life, but it feels so counterintuitive at times. It feels this insufficient sufficiency, power and weakness. It sounds honestly as odd as putting those together, if you could honestly see it, where you'd say, I find myself sufficient when I'm insufficient. It's just like, that just doesn't make any sense. I find myself rich when I'm broke. You know, it's like absolutely true. You know, because what I find is what I needed is Christ. And I just want to invite you to that. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And we're going to take a moment and pray. I will say this, maybe you're here this morning, again, you're outside of this. And the weird thing is you can actually come into this room and still be trying to be a Christian. You can come into this room and think that to get saved means that you need to be about, you just got to work a little harder. And you're kind of one of those places like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about joining the church or becoming a part of the church more, but you know, I just got to get my life fixed first, you know. Just go work a little bit harder. You know, as, as soon as I get there, I'm going to get serious about Jesus as if that's what he was asking you to do, as if you could ever save yourself, as if you could ever earn your salvation. You cannot. He is inviting you to come and say, God, I, I, I need everything. I need, you know, I need the work that Christ paid on the cross, and he didn't to pay 90% of your salvation. He paid the whole thing. He paid the whole thing. And if you're here this morning coming to an end of yourself, that's a good thing to come to. It's not bad to come and recognize how desperately you need Jesus. And if that's you this morning, we're inviting you to believe that and find that Jesus is enough, that he's enough to save, he's enough to bring you to life, and we ask for that. For the rest of us who are knowing Jesus, again, wherever you are on this journey, I just want you to recognize it and say, okay, I get it. I see it. Like, that's what we're doing. And, and be less difficult in learning. Like, okay, God, bring me to end of myself so I trust you more. I want that. I want to, I want to trust in Jesus always. I want to abide in Christ because I can't do anything without you. Teach me how to do that. Just longing for more of that. So wherever you are right now, just asking you to take a moment for that. I'll do the same. Let's just take a quiet moment. Ask God to meet us here. You pray, I'll pray quietly, and then we'll come and close together in worship in just a moment.
Lord, I pray for these that don't know you right now, who you're working to bring them to an end of themselves, to a place where they recognize they cannot save themselves, that their good works would never outweigh their bad. All their good works are actually tainted. Lord, if it's hitting rock bottom or it's reaching some pinnacle and finding out it's empty, bring these to an end of themselves, to a place that they recognize they cannot save themselves, that they need you, Jesus. They need you to save them. Pray that they would look to you and be saved. Pray they would look to you and you would rescue them and draw them to you. I'll leave them in your good care and ask for that. But then I bring my brothers and sisters before you and I thank you for the growth that you are working and wanting to work in us. And yet I admit to you, God, as I've admitted to you personally and tried to talk about it honestly this morning, it's uncomfortable at times. You're, you're, the journey that you have for us is one of continuing to show us how inadequate we are how much we cannot do without you, how much we're not enough, how much we need you every moment of every day, that life is meant to be lived with you and in you so that we would abide in you, Jesus, all the time, that we'd hold and cling to you in the morning and at noon and at night. We'd recognize we need you in every space of our life. We'd find you're more than enough, you're adequate. You're sufficient for everything. God, would you teach us how to do that more? Would you bring us into that journey that both highlights our inadequacy and your adequacy at the same moment and teach us to take hold of you? Would you work in us that, that it would no longer be us, but even as we're going to sing in a moment, it would be Christ in us, that you would do that work in us, we ask for more of that and all that you have for us as we trust you now. In Jesus' name, amen.